Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Goat podcast. Here today, we'll be reacting to the big Julio Jones trade that shocked us yesterday, but didn't shock me. Then, talk about Game 7, breakdown, the Clippers, the Mavs, Game 7, and preview the Clippers and Jazz series, and then get into some NHL playoff discussion, amongst other things to sprinkle in in today's podcast. So to get started, yesterday, for those who are unaware, Julio Jones, wide receiver, stud for the Atlanta Falcons, was traded to the Tennessee Titans alongside a six-round pick for a second and fourth round pick. Now, this is where I wanted Julio Jones to be traded. This was my number one destination for Julio. I thought this was where he would go all along, and it happened. I was right about that one. And the best thing is, I thought Tennessee would have to give up a first-round pick to get Julio. They didn't even have to give up Julio or give up a first-round pick for Julio Jones, only a second and fourth. So a very, very great trade in what could be a steal for this Titans franchise. To me, this is similar to the trade for DeAndre Hopkins a couple years ago that the Cardinals made where they traded uh, David Johnson and their second-round pick to the Texans for DeAndre Hopkins. And look at that return. If you were to grade that trade beforehand, you'd probably give it an A or a C in favor of the Cardinals. Now you give it an A still for the Cardinals and an F for the Texans. Uh, and I kind of feel that way with this trade. I give the Tennessee Titans an A plus for doing this, for only giving up a second and fourth round pick and acquiring one of the premier top wide receivers in the NFL, Julio Jones on the Titans. That is only going to help this team out. This was a huge trade that I thought would get done for logical reasons. And to me, it's even better that they didn't give up a first. And when you look at their offseason, they gave up Corey Davis. They let him walk in free agency. And he signed with the Jets for around $15 million. And then the Titans went ahead and flipped their picks for Julio Jones who will be getting paid $15 million this year in his base deal. So who would you rather have, Corey Davis or Julio Jones? I would rather have the proven wide receiver in Julio Jones, which is just, oh, I'm so happy for Tennessee. I'm so happy for A.J. Brown 
Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill. This offense is going to be really, really good next year, better than they were this past year. They're going to be more balanced with their attack. Well, how does this help Derrick Henry? Does Derrick Henry really need help since he is just rushed for over 2,000 yards this past season, uh, been the rushing leader, uh, perennial rushing leader for the past two or three years. He has been the best running back in football by far. He has been special. And what teams have started to do, and sometimes this doesn't even work, mind that, is they stack eight or nine people in the box sometimes, play man, maybe have a safety high, maybe not, and just gamble on the Titans running it majority of the time knowing, hey, my cornerbacks can go out and beat the Titans wide receiver every time they throw the football. Now this helps because it clears the block, the box out for Derrick Henry Gives him more room to run the football. Now you add Julio Jones, who will take a defender, maybe two over there, maybe an extra safety. So instead of seeing maybe eight or nine in a box, at most he'll ever see eight. And he could see, you know, six to eight in a box, probably around, he'll. I think he'll see seven consistently. But if you think about that, that's seven people lined up to try to tackle Derrick Henry. Five of them will be blocked by the offensive lineman for the Titans. That leaves two. You might have a tight end or a fullback. That takes care of another one. So you're leaving one-on-one for Derrick Henry, the man who breaks the most tackles, and you're going to have that one-on-one in the box. This is going to clear up so much room for Derrick Henry. Do I think he'll rush? For 2,000 yards, I don't know with the addition of Julio Jones. I don't know if he'll call on Derrick Henry as they have done in the past. But expect a lot of monster and breakout games for Derrick Henry. This is one person that benefits. The other it benefits, A.J. Brown. Two years into the league, two years with a 1,000-yard receiving campaign numbers. A.J. Brown has been a dog. Was great his rookie year, got even better. This past year is a legitimate number one option uh, for the Tennessee Titans. Was seeing a little double team here and there for certain teams because he was brilliant, a big, physical, wide receiver that can dominate Smaller cornerbacks. So this benefits A.J. Brown because now he might not even see the top cornerback from now on. If he lands sides up on the left side of the field, he might not even see the top cornerback. He might be getting a second cornerback. And as A.J. Brown says, that is going to be fun to not go up against the best anymore. If I do go up against the best, Julio is going to be on the other side, torching the other guy. Mismatch nightmares all around the field 
with big Derrick Henry, big A.J. Brown, and big Julio Jones. This is all great. Who else does it benefit? Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback. After a terrible, terrible, I believe, kind of first six years in Miami, uh, where he was kind of lackluster. Yes, he threw for, you know, 4,000 yards twice and 27 touchdowns once, but he made a lot of turnovers, didn't necessarily look good in that system. Uh, That Miami team also wasn't good uh, just around them, facing Tom Brady so many times a year, but it wasn't good. So he was traded to Tennessee. First season in Tennessee, made the Pro Bowl, you know, threw 22 touchdowns and almost had 3,000 yards in 12 games. He only started 10 games because the first two were started by Marcus Mariota. So he was inactive uh, for every game. But one year fully into the system in Tennessee this past year with Vrabel, he was 11-5 and as a starter, threw for almost 4,000 passing yards, career-high 33 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. A great ratio. He's on a positive upward trend. And now it only helps with the addition of Julio Jones because they had a nice one-two punch in A.J. Brown and uh, Corey Davis. But adding Julio Jones only makes this team that much more scary. Who else does it benefit? Julio Jones. Last year he was injured, so he only played nine games. Still put up 771 yards. Year before, in the span of, let's say, seven years, he made six Pro Bowls, 2012 and then 2014 to 2019. Made seven Pro Bowls out of eight years. Over a thousand yards uh, in those same Pro Bowl years. Career high yards of 1,871 yards, almost a 2,000 yard receiving campaign. Eight touchdowns, 10 touchdowns for a total high. Receptions varying from 100 to 136. He is a special wide receiver at six foot three. 222 pounds. This guy is the real deal. He is an elite wide receiver. Injuries have taken a toll on him. His age is well, but only 32 years old. We still see wide receivers make great plays in their career. Uh, He still has another three or four years under his belt where he can be a great wide receiver. And I believe he will do great things in uh, Tennessee. He just played opposite Calvin Ridley for the Falcons, who has emerged as a number one wide receiver. 
now in this offense with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. Julio Jones still has a lot to contribute to this team. So I love this trade. Definitely giving them an A+. What about the Falcons? What do I give them? I give the Atlanta Falcons a C-plus for this trade. They said that they had an offer on the table for a first-round pick. One of two things. One that was a lie. Or two... It wasn't a high first round pick good enough at all. Uh, Who knows, but maybe it was a lie. I think they were playing the league. They obviously did not have a table on offer on the table for a first round pick for Julio Jones. They called their bluff, and look what happened. You are now Julio Jones-less in Atlanta. Julio Jones is gone missing. Matt Ryan could go missing next. Why do I say that? Well, his QBR with Julio Jones is 83. Very respectable QBR. His QBR without Julio Jones, 54. A decrease of 29 points without Julio Jones. That's how much Matt Ryan needs Julio Jones. Matt Ryan would not have won MVP in the 2016 season without Julio Jones. They would not have made it to that Super Bowl without Julio Jones. So Matt Ryan's stock takes a huge hit. They should go up and trade him as well for all the money he's stealing from the Atlanta Falcons and not performing. And he will not perform. So that takes... A huge hit on Matt Ryan. Calvin Ridley, as I have said, will emerge as the number one wide receiver in this offense. He was the number one wide receiver last year, I feel like, too. Even with Julio Jones and those nine games, Calvin Ridley has been spectacular for them. Uh, He has shown up in big-time moments, and deserves to be the number one wide receiver. Last year stepped up with over 1,000 yards, 1,409 touchdowns, and has been consistent with his time in Atlanta. So now a lot of eyes are going to be on Calvin Ridley moving forward as the number one wide receiver. But they drafted tight end Kyle Pitts and I feel like they did that because they can replace some of that production from Julio Jones with the younger versatile Kyle Pitts who can line up at both wide receiver or tight end a few inches taller than Julio Jones three inches tall at six foot six and about 15 pounds heavier at 245 so he is just Physically speaking, a Megatron-esque type of wide receiver. The question is going to be his route running, his finesse, 
will all those things add up to wide receiver attributes? Or will he be that Jimmy Graham type of tight end? To me, there's two routes he's going to go. The elite Jimmy Graham or the elite Calvin Johnson Jr. Or the other route, which I won't discuss, is the route of draft bust, where he is a terrible pick and he doesn't do well coming off uh, in the next few years. But with Julio Jones, they could have had an electric offense where there's no way they had enough people to line up and cover Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Julio Jones. So it takes a step back, especially since there will be a learning curve with Kyle Pitts adjusting to this NFL-style offense. Matt Ryan's going to have to get used to a new offense with the head coach gun, so is Calvin Ridley. So there's going to be a lot of adjustments and growing pains this year. And they only got a second and fourth round pick out of it. So that's why I'm only giving them a C+. We'll see what those picks turn into. We'll see how this team does without Julio Jones. But the numbers don't support Matt Ryan doing well without Julio. But we'll see if they adjust and adjust well. But you might as well get rid of Matt Ryan as well. Because I don't think they'll compete in a division this year with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers being back. So really, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Saints all in that division should let the Bucks have their day which they had this past year, might happen again this year. And I think at most, one more year, I think that's going to be it for Tom Brady. So really, the Falcons, the Saints, the Panthers, the rest of the teams in this division should do all they can to prepare for life after Tom Brady so that when he retires, they can come out on top. They can get rid of bad contracts, you know, such as the Matt Ryan, the Sam Darnolds, uh, the others, you know, on those teams, so that they can be the team to rise to the top when Tom is gone. But that remains to be seen. But the Titans won this trade. Now, what's your outlook? I do believe with this trade, there are four elite teams in the AFC. The AFC has just got more stacked. Those four teams are, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, back-to-back Super Bowls, won one and lost one. The Buffalo Bills, who just are coming off an AFC Championship game appearance with the team still intact, led by Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. They'll be back. So you really have two ascending teams. The Cleveland Browns, who I think have one of the best rosters in the NFL, if not the best. It'll be interesting to see how they perform this year with the plethora of additions they made uh, through free agency and through the draft. And now you have the Tennessee Titans, who already had a great offense, but could move up to that elite status with Julio Jones. So to me, 
you have the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, the Cleveland Browns, and the Tennessee Titans. And the Titans are only two years away from being in the AFC Championship game where they lost to the eventual champions and Patrick Mahomes. That's what they're trying to get at. Now, to me, so far, you have Kansas City as a top dog, and the other teams I just mentioned are vying vying for the number two spot there to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know which team is going to do it, if any of those teams are going to do it. I think the Browns have the best chance so far, but it'll be interesting now to see with the new weapon and Tennessee to me, you have four teams locked in the playoffs right there. Those four division winners. You know, then you have the Baltimore Ravens as well with Lamar Jackson, who seemed to will always make a postseason appearance. Uh, and then you'll have others as well. But I think if you can separate yourselves, especially from the bottom of a pack, and be better and see how you do there. Are they Super Bowl contenders? That's a tough one to say. Since to me there are now more, a much more balance for elite teams in both the AFC and the NFC. Even if it looks like Tom Brady runs the NFC and Patrick Mahomes runs the AFC, you have a lot of nice talent there. So Super Bowl contenders? Since they're already past playoff contenders, I will say yes. The Titans are now Super Bowl contenders with that trade. To me, they were still Super Bowl contenders last year since they made it to the AFC Championship game. But to me, they definitely moved up a tier or at least half a tier to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs with this trade and are going all in right now. So excellent move again by the Tennessee Titans. It's going to be fun to watch them in this offense as it gets flowing. Now, shifting to college football. The greatest football coach in the history of football, regardless regardless of the collegiate or professional level, Nick Saban has signed a new uh, deal through 2028 that's another seven years. He's 70 right now. That takes him till he's 77. And it's well-deserved, too, for how many championships he has won with Alabama. He has won six at Alabama. And he's won seven total. He's won three of the past six, most in college football history. Even if he retires tomorrow, they should still pay him those next seven years where he'll be making around $10 million a deal, $10 million a year as the highest paid national or college football head coach. His record at Alabama is 170. 170 wins to only 23 losses. Uh... 881 percentage, win percentage. Uh, He has just been so good. To me, that's why he's the GOAT of football coaches 
regardless, uh, because he is, you know, just a pure genius of the sport, whether it be uh, recruiting, coaching big games, uh, he is the man for a job. He has produced so much talent going into the NFL as well. So even when he retires, teams will still want to go to Alabama with that Alabama culture, at least for the following two or three years on that. So really, he has changed the college football landscape. Not only changed it, but dominated the college football landscape for the greater part of 10 years now. And I believe he's going to keep on doing it until he feels like his time is up. But he's a special coach. To me, it's well-deserved because he's won so many championships, and I think he's going to win a couple more before it is all said and done. So great job on that. Now, moving over to NBA. Yesterday, the only Game 7 of the first round, and it was between the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers, I said on my previous podcast, the Mavericks would win this series. And I was wrong about that. Wrong about my Lakers winning. Wrong about the Clippers winning. Oh, I was doing so well there for a while. And now there is a drought in sight. Where now, to me, the NBA is not fun to watch. As I am not a Clippers fan. Cannot be watching that. Luka Doncic was electric this series, best player, and the series at least on the offensive end, you know, averaging 35 points, uh, however many rebounds and assists that he had, has as well. He was special in every single game except for uh, game four. He was really good, put on a show for NBA fans, but it's proved that one thing, that the Mavericks are not there yet. I do believe Luka is now arrived. He is here. But the Mavericks as a team built around him are not there yet. Why do I say that? Well, Chris Stapp's Porzingis has been a joke for this team. He is not a unicorn. His nickname, he's not nothing. He's a bum is what he is. Uh, he is not the wingman that was acquired with thought in mind initially, uh, by Mark Cuban. He has not delivered. Tim Hardaway Jr. will never be a legitimate number two. He is a great role player and will knock down shots when needed, but he's not that guy. Same with Finney Smith. Marjanovic gives you good minutes as a center, but they made a wrong deal on Porzingis. It has cost him in the draft, and now it only hurts him more. Is he has a big contract as well. That doesn't that won't help in moving him. But they need to move Porzingis. And to me, they need to get a reliable three and D player to play defense on there and knock down forty percent of three point shots. That's what the Dallas Mavericks need uh, to really contend with the elite teams. In the West, but it showed that they're not there yet. Uh, Luka Doncic is one ten steps ahead in front of every other Mavs player. 
but I don't feel too hot on the Clippers either. Kawhi had a great Game 6 in Game 7 to stave off elimination. I'm still not sold on Paul George or Batum or Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris can get hot, but I'm not sold of any of these guys. And now they play the league-leading Jazz. And I think this will be a terrific series between the 1 and the 4. I'm predicting the Jazz to win. The Jazz are well-rested. Donovan Mitchell has been playing great. Rudy Gobert is going to dominate whoever is in the paint down there. Donovan Mitchell is going to guard Paul George. Paul George won't be able to lock up Donovan Mitchell at all. Mike Conley is going to play well, too. The guarding between him and Rajon Rondo or Reggie Jackson is going to be elite. This is great matchups, but Joe Ingles uh, is an elite three-point shooter for this team who can get hot for the Utah Jazz. So to me, I have the Utah Jazz winning this series at all, and the Clippers are lucky to escape the first round. To me, they are not a championship team. They are not an Eastern-Western Conference Finals team. They are the laughing stock of the NBA. They're going to continue to be the laughing stock of the NBA. I'm glad they got a nice Game 6 and Game 7 win against uh, Luka Doncic. And it had to throw a kitchen sink at him. But that's it. Clippers are done. Clippers are toast. And I'm rooting for the Jazz. Just like I'm rooting for the Nuggets tonight. And I'm picking the Nuggets to win this game. Tonight, get off to the series right away. Nikola Jocic is going to dominate tonight. The MVP will be on center display. DeAndre Ayton will want to get out of there right away after he's seen enough of Nikola Jocic. He won't be able to guard him out on the perimeter either. And that's when it gets dangerous, when he starts knocking down perimeter shots and getting everybody involved then it is downhill for everyone else. So that's why I'm picking the Nuggets to win. Uh, They are too big, too good, and Cliff Paul has an ailing shoulder, uh, and he's too busy shooting State Farm commercials as well. Uh, So Cliff Paul's head will not be in the game compared to Nikola Jocic. Then you have the Bucks and the Nets game two. Next took a game or a series lead 1-0 on their win over the weekend. I believe the Bucks will win this game as they kind of falter down the stretch here. I believe that the Bucks will fix their uh, mistakes that were needed to do, and they'll win tonight. And Brooklyn Nets have a huge loss. James Harden out. That hamstring still bothering him. No clear timetable on his return. That is a huge blow for the Brooklyn Nets. He is their second best player to Kevin Durant. One of the best players in the NBA by far. Uh, Being able to shoot for three so well. uh, Drive, create contact, get to the line. He is great as well. And he's to me, he's a better defender 
than Kyrie Irving and a better leader as well. So you lose a lot in James Harden and a lot of opening up this offense. So I think that will be on display tonight, and the Bucks will win. And then it gets very scary for the Nets from there if James Harden cannot return. Because if James Harden is not there, I do not think they will win the NBA Finals. But if James Harden is on this team, I think you can hand them the Larry O'Brien Trophy right now. Now moving on to the NHL. The Golden Knights, the Vegas Golden Knights have evened up the series against the Colorado Avalanche. I thought they would at home, but they have looked really good at home compared to how they look away uh, with back-to-back wins. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has been tremendous. His postseason has been great the past three games, one of those being a loss, but has still looked Really, really elite for a player of his age. Max Pacioretty playing well. Jonathan Marchessault had a hat-trick in the past game. The offense was flowing. Great passes were being made, and it looked too much for the Colorado Avalanche. So it's going to be a huge Game 6 tomorrow. But I'm happy to see the Knights tie up this series and play aggressive have high-quality scoring chances, go at the net, and just dominate the time of possession, time on attack. That's what's needed, and it helps the goalie out, helps the defense out, and it also helps the offense out when they're just flowing more and they're continually in that and generating scoring chances and getting the crowd into it. And tonight, there's two games I will pick. Two games on. The first, the New York Islanders and the Boston Bruins. This is the back and forth series I was expecting between the Capitals and the Bruins, but I guess I got it in this one, unfortunately, since the Penguins aren't in it either. But it's been back and forth, and I think it's going to continue that way, and that's why I have the Bruins missing tonight. Big time moment last game for Pasternak where he had a wide open net on a brilliant pass. Uh, All he had to do was put it in, thought about it too much, took an awkward one-timer on a knee, hit the post, and didn't even score as there was nobody in net to guard it. Semyon Varlamov was not even in, you know, the blue circle to defend it, so he wasn't there. That, to me, that changed the game. Islanders were electric in that third period and cruised to a win. Hopefully David Pasternak gets whatever was out of him that game to finish on those wide-open nets. Takes a little bit more easy. But Brad Marchand has come up in big moments the past few years in playoff games like these. A decisive, big Game 5 moment in Boston. I think the Bruins will have a big night uh, tonight. Tuka Rask will outduel Simeon Varlamov. Then you have the Winnipeg Jets going up against the Montreal Canadiens. And the Montreal Canadiens are looking to sweep the Winnipeg Jets. I said the Jets were going to win this series. I am flipping 
and saying the Jets are not coming back down from 3-0 to take it. I believe the Canadians are going to sweep them and finish them off tonight. Looks like Mark Scheifele on offense. Him being gone has hurt this team a lot. Connor Hellebuck has not played like he did against the Edmonton Oilers. And Carey Price has just been terrific for the Montreal Canadiens in net. Uh, so that's that. The Winnipeg Jets, I think, are toast. It's it. And the Canadians, which were the worst team to make the playoffs, if 59 points are going to make it out of a North division as the only team out of a North and play for a chance to get in to the Stanley Cup final. They were so bad that an eliminated New York Rangers team had more points than them. At 60, the Rangers could have been in. So Montreal's thankful that if you just get in, make the most of your opportunity because they are doing just that. This team is young. There's a lot of belief in them. But no matter what, their next win, their next series win, it will be their last this year. I'll talk more about that later. Then, as I said, uh, with the Lakers being out, with the Penguins being out, that I was just going to take this lackadaisical approach to those rest of the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs, as I don't have a rooting interest, uh, as I'll just watch to watch. But I was going to watch the French Open because I had Roger Federer and Serena Williams. That plan uh, was trash when Roger Federer withdrew after a thrilling, big, four-set win. The other day he withdrew, said he's listening to his body, uh, still rehabbing slowly from the double knee surgery that he had. So he withdrew. That was not good. Then the next day, Serena Williams lost in straight sets to end her bid to tie Margaret Court at 24. No Naomi Osaka. A lot of the top seeds were dropping out, and it looked like Serena Williams was set to have this 24th Grand Slam presented to her on a silver platter. That is not the case. Now it begs the question is, will she ever get the elusive number 24? I really do not know if it will ever happen. I am very skeptical right now. I don't think it will happen now. Uh, That, to me, was her best chance. She's only getting older. The young tennis players look a lot more athletic than she is getting older. She's no longer in her prime. Uh, She is still an elite tennis player. But a lot of these up-and-coming players that have idolized Serena Williams just want to beat her. It seems like that's all they want to do. And players are doing just that every tournament to Serena Williams. So that was a disappointment. So the French Open was gone. I'm sad that Serena Williams is out. And then... In baseball news, the New York Yankees can tear, continue under path of not winning games. were swept 
by their arch-rival, the Boston Red Sox, and were aided by the umpires last night. A terrible, terrible strike call on Odor, a 3-2 count that would have had bases loaded. Instead, he gets out because of the strike call by the umpire. Goes into a 10th inning where the Red Sox won this game. The pitching coach, Nevin, was ejected. Third base coach as well was hot. Uh, These coaches, except for Aaron Boone, seemed not too happy about the call. I was not happy about the call. It was a clear ball. Looked like a foot away off the bag. Uh, Really... Uh, umpire robbed the Yankees of trying to win this game on the bottom of the ninth. Uh, So their performance is not good enough. As I've said before, Aaron Boone is not the right manager. Glaber Torres is playing great right now. Judge is all right, but it seems like nobody ever clicks all at one time, whether it seems like DJ LeMayhew might be clicking one day with Giancarlo Stanton, and Judge and Glaber aren't clicking, and then you'll have Judge and Glaber clicking, whereas then you don't have DJ LeMayhew or Stanton clicking. If you had everybody clicking on the same page on the same day, this team would be really good, but they're too inconsistent uh, for their own good, and that's why they find themselves losing a lot of games. But they have a day off. Only a few MLB games on today. And the key highlight one is the Chicago Cubs going up against the San Diego Padres. Both are respective second place in their division. In which will be a great game uh, in the NL Conference in their National League, to see where each team is heading to elite teams going up against each other. Uh, Fernando Tatis has been brilliant, uh, but so has Chris Bryant for the Chicago Cubs. Javier Baez is really uh, feeling it after a rough start to the beginning of this series, uh, or the beginning of this season. Jake Cronenworth is also playing great. So it'll be interesting to watch both teams. Start the best pitchers are not out tonight. Also lay out for the Cubs and Weathers out for the Padres. So I think you're going to have a high scoring affair. I'd say, you know, seven five, eight four, somewhere around those for the score. Uh, but I do like the Padres. Then this one is one of the best teams in the MLB. That's it, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to everyone soon. Bye, everybody.